This is That Marketing Podcast. Made by marketers for marketers. Welcome to another episode of That Marketing Podcast, where today we're looking at social media with Jennifer Gutman, Director of Social Strategy at Octopost. Octopost is a social media management system which forms the basis of Spotler's Gator Social tool, and it's also used by much bigger companies, including Fujitsu. Jen and I had a really good discussion. We covered how to use your social media channels in a crisis, the opportunities and pitfalls of employee advocacy programs, and why so-called vanity metrics can actually offer marketers a lot of insight. Hope you enjoy. There are still a significant number of companies that aren't using social media. Do you think it's a suitable channel for, for every kind and size of business, or are there some out there that it's not worth the, the investment of time and effort? Richard, that's actually a, an interesting question. I think, first of all, it's it's a little nerve-wracking to me to hear that there are a significant number of companies that are still not using social media. I think that from today forward, I don't think you're going to see a company saying, ah, you know what, I'm going to scale back on my social, um, especially since online usage is up and, and since the crisis, everybody has been online to communicate. We've, we've actually seen an increase um, in companies jumping on social because that is right now the only way to be communicating um, with their customers, their prospects, their audiences, and, and really um, stay connected. I think that when it comes to social media, there's a channel for everybody. So it doesn't matter if you're a startup, if you're an independent consultant, or if you're a giant enterprise company. I think social media is certainly suitable for any and every type of business. And if you're not already on social media, you're real behind. <laughs> well, what's the best method for, for judging based on your on your business size or your market, which channels to focus on? Or is it a case of dive into everything and, and see what works first? I mean, I think it's always taking it back to the basics. As a, as a marketer and specifically as a B2B marketer, we always need to be impacting our company's bottom line. And with that can come a lot of pressure. So I think that really understanding your marketing goals and then understanding how social media can be a part of that. Um, and I know, you know, for measurement, for example, and, and different ways to measure social media. So perhaps when you're first starting out as a, an independent consultant versus a, a large marketing team, perhaps some of your goals may be a little bit different. But at the end of the day, you get on social to impact uh, your bottom line, whether, you know, whether you're a, a, a team of one or you're a team of many. How does employee advocacy work? And that's something that Octopus promote very heavily. What kind of benefits do you get from that setup that you can't get from just having a company profile or company handle? So employee advocacy is, I think, one of the, so it's been coined as the next big thing in social media. And I think that's even an obsolete statement now. But I really do think that it's the program and the social strategy to be talking about because basically the way that it works is you go ahead and you engage all of your employees and you, in our case, we give them a platform called Octopost, right? And they can go ahead and connect to the Octopost board. And they, on that board, there's tons of content and it's company generated content, meaning that, that your marketing team sits there and they put together a ton of content and they distribute it to their employees. And then employees can just go ahead and share that content at their leisure. So the way that employee advocacy works, you can think of it, if you want to think of it like the old school model, 
when you would let's say send an email to a colleague and say hey dear colleague can you please 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 share this article we were mentioned in the wall street journal that would be fantastic and then let's say the employee would take that link copy and paste it and put it on their linkedin ultimately what we do is we've created a platform that allows you to measure that process because when you're doing it old school there is no way to measure it and it does have huge benefits so those benefits one um, when you think about the employees and you think about what it gives to the employee, it's going to place your employees as thought leaders. And why is that important? Social media is all about connection, right? It's all about building meaningful relationships. It's all about coming together as an online community. And when your employees are sharing thoughtful content, whether it's from your company blog, third-party content, all of this is, is, is from the industry and their networks, which are oftentimes different than your corporate channel. Um, so for example, this is another benefit. Me as Jen, right? Richard, you and I are connected on LinkedIn. Um, so maybe when I share something, we know that people are more likely to trust another person when they make a recommendation or share something over a brand. So when it's coming from my voice, Richard, you're probably more likely to say, oh, wow, yeah, Jen and I work together. Jen posted this really interesting thing about marketing. Let me click on that. Let me read that as opposed to Octopus, which is a great company, but perhaps you're not following Octopus because you don't work at Octopus, or, or maybe they post something, but it's just not, it doesn't speak to you as much as when someone you actually know posts something. So um, when you think about those benefits as kind of the building the trust for your employees following and being thought leaders, that's a huge benefit. Another benefit for your company is that your reach can actually go far greater then if your corporate blog is just sharing it, and that, or sorry, your, your corporate social media channels, and that kind of goes back to what I said earlier, is that when a brand shares something, maybe, you know, X amount of followers are following that brand. Let's face it, if you're not Nike and you're not Coca-Cola, chances are, as a B2B marketer, you're following maybe on the slim side. And even if it's quite large, your employees, you never know who your employees are connected to, so you're able to get a little bit more creative about how far your reach can go. And I also think with employee advocacy, what we're seeing as well is that it's not just about the persona that you're helping your employees put on, but it's also about internally being a great place to work. Employees are, are much more likely to share content when they're happy where they work or they're engaged with what they're doing. And so by building an employee advocacy program and helping your employees share content, you're actually contributing to building a very strong company culture. What we're seeing is that when you have a program in place and you're doing incentives and you can have a leaderboard, for example, and create friendly competition, employees want to feel a part of something. And when you give employee advocacy a place and, and employees can easily, right, because usually the guys that are sharing their sales, um, maybe their implementation managers, maybe their HR, they're contributing to helping the company, but at the same time, they're bettering themselves. And they're also, you can make it fun while doing it. Um, so overall, I think it's a really powerful program and companies like Fujitsu and ACI Worldwide and many other giant, gigantic companies that we work with, um, they've rolled out their employee advocacy programs and you see the employees sharing content and it can get really fun. So yeah, you talked about, uh, well, you mentioned process in there quite early on in your answer. Um, I think social media is one of those channels that suffers from having a lot of, sort of vanity metrics, things that look good but don't necessarily contribute to results. What are the the metrics, the numbers that marketers should should actually be looking at to know how their social media platform is <laughs> contributing to their bottom line? 
Yeah, so this is always an interesting discussion, I feel. And I've spoken with many, many DB marketers and our customers and and so and CMOs, right? So yes, social media is certainly filled with, if you will, and I'm doing air quotes, vanity metrics. And I, I would like to say that while there we we often joke as B2B marketers that they're fluff metrics or feel-good metrics. I do think it is important to make sure that we recognize that they do hold some value and I'll separate, you know, what B2B marketers should be looking at versus these metrics. But I actually like to call vanity metrics um, insightful metrics, if you will, or insightful KPIs, because it does give us some glimpse into the direction we need to go into understanding our audience and what type of content encourages more brand interaction. And, and basically, right, we can, from a like or from a comment or those quote-unquote vanity metrics or, or um, insightful metrics, it does give us an idea of how socially can impact overall marketing goals. But when it comes to the true numbers marketers need to be looking at, I think it's really about the conversions, the click, the link clicks, and what's impacting, right? Because just because somebody likes a post, it doesn't mean that that like is going to convert into a customer down the road. So in essence, if you're posting on social media and you're getting tons of likes, but you don't know how many of those likes are turning into actual leads, it's problematic. So at Octopost, what we actually do is we help you through the buyer journey and through the customer journey, take a look at different touch points on social media that's going to be able to help you justify um, your B2B social media marketing. And also with those specific metrics like social conversions, understand where the journey started. And if it started on social media, that you can attribute that to starting on social media. And let's say you tweet, maybe your company was mentioned in the Wall Street Journal. And so you make a tweet and you tweet that your company was mentioned. Somebody's going to click on that link in that tweet and they're going to read that article. And let's say from there, they go ahead and do a Google search. They find your company and they end up on your company page, right? So when they're on your company page and they fill out a form, maybe for a webinar coming up or a newsletter, SEO gets really excited because they got a lead, right? Wow, this person came from the blog or this person came from the website. But in essence, the only reason why that person actually landed on your blog was because they have been engaging with your social channels. So if you're not using Octopus, for example, you can see, you know, you're not able to see this journey. But when you do and are able to see this journey, you're able to go ahead and look at the, the KPIs that matter, right? Those social conversions, if you will. At, at, at the stage we're at recording this at the end of April 2020, obviously we're in the middle of the sort of coronavirus lockdown that's affecting everyone. How would you how do you change your social strategy in, in a crisis? And is there a difference between uh, an internal sort of small scale crisis and a global one of the type that we're currently in? So this is a good question. And and I think all marketers, we can all relate to one another in that, you know, I know when I was in college, which was way many moons ago. Um, I was a media and communication major and the first day of class, my professor, we sat down and the professor says, hello everyone, welcome to the degree of media and communication. Um, in four years when you graduate, everything you've learned in my class will be obsolete. And I think that that piece of advice is the most valuable piece of advice that I could retain with me throughout my marketing career and how we should be looking at this crisis, if you will. Because I think that when you're changing up or pivoting is a common word that we've heard, our social media strategy now to match the messaging, one, have confidence 
um, that we do know how to do this because essentially our entire career, there's always new technologies coming to play. Um, there's always new tools to be learning and we are probably the most equipped to be able to adapt to this crisis. With that said, um, I think that the most important thing, and, and I know that it's a lot of people are, are have, have mentioned it and maybe it's even over talked about, but I do think that empathy plays a role in, in the messaging. Um, and I think that B2B messaging is critical right now because the way that you position your messaging across social media, you need to have empathy. You don't know what type of situation is going on for your audience. People are working from home. The workday is chaotic. Um, maybe people are losing loved ones to COVID-19 or healthcare workers. They're not seeing family members, whatever it may be. So I think empathy is huge. I also think that, you know, usually with social media strategy, you're going to be having some aggressive, maybe marketing pitches as you're, you know, getting webinars in and pushing certain product lines. But in these days, I think it's important to take a step back from that and really understand how you can be helpful. Are my social media posts, are they being informative and are they adding value? If your strategy is adding value. If your messaging is adding value to the current situation, I think you're in good good shape. Um, and if it's not, I would go ahead and delete it. I know at the onset of this crisis, um, I actually had called a colleague and I couldn't believe that I had spent all of December mapping out all of Q1 of social content. Uh, and then come February, pretty much just deleting all my calendars because none of my content was relevant. But I think being able to adapt and be resilient will get you far. And it's the same way that you would handle any crisis, right? Whether it's big or small, it's still a crisis. And, and so I think being, a, being prepared to be able to adapt quickly, um, I think is one of the best ways to go about handling the crisis and also staying relevant, right? So if you're reading in the news, right, these, these situations, this specifically changes on like a daily basis. So don't get too attached to any plan that you may have. I also think being campaign-based and smart. So for example, at Octopost, what I actually did um, for, my, for our social strategy is I created four new campaigns immediately. Um, one was called coronavirus content. That was all of the third-party content that was being posted about the B2B marketing industry. And I was posting that across our social channels. There was a campaign that I had added there for our From the Experts webinar series. A huge component for our social strategy became on-demand content, and similar to like what we're doing now, right? So on-demand content, because you just don't know your, your former prospects and customers' work days, you need to be able to provide them with content that they can view at any time, right? We don't know, is lunchtime, you know, still 12 to 1? Or did lunchtime change, you know, from 3 to 4 because people are homeschooling the kids or walking the dog? So I think, again, being able to adapt on-demand content, I think also focusing a lot on your corporate blog and making sure that when you bring people to your blog, that there are relevant redirects, let's say, or linking relevant articles to be helpful, because I think that's really what people are looking for right now. They're looking, I think that people are expecting not to be sold to, but rather to find information out there that's helpful. And if your strategy can adjust to that and adapt to that, I think that you'll be golden. Great. Okay. Obviously, social is, like you said, your your professor said all that, that time, <laughs> that time ago, <laughs> social media is probably the, the fastest changing of any any particular um, channel that marketing has under their belts. Is there one 
Or is there one particular source of resources or source of training that you can you should point people to that's good at keeping up with this, with how fast it's moving? I mean, I guess, what is it, ABL, always be learning. Um, <laughs> there's, so much, um, there's so much out there. I mean, if I know what do I follow. I follow trying to market the marketing professors is a a publication that I follow. I also I just do a lot of reading. I mean, I, I the I'm trying to like the marketing professors is a, is a good one. The ANA is really good to follow, but I think I also just go on LinkedIn and I will see what's happening in my feed. And again, it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about. I, as the person on LinkedIn, will go through and see what my colleagues are sharing. I'll see what my connections are sharing. And if it's interesting, I'll go ahead and click on it. I also think staying up to date, um, Mashable.com, it always kind of gives some interesting and relevant information on new technologies and new trends. How do I also avidly read? Now I'll go back to the marketing professors. I think they're great. And Hadley is, is uh, definitely someone to follow. You briefly touched on companies like uh, ACI and, and Fujitsu, but who have you got an example in mind, maybe one amongst your customer base of someone who's actually sort of smashing it on social media, doing really well, that, that would be a good person or a good, good example to pick up and run from if someone's trying to really ramp up their social media? So I don't know if I, I know a lot of our customers sign NDAs, so I am not sure if I'm allowed to share <laughs> that information. Right. What I can share is that on our website, we do have a tab with customer case studies, and there are some like Fujitsu, um, like ACI Worldwide, that have case studies there. So any customer that we have on our site, um, you know, that, that's definitely fair game. I know a lot of our customers who are rocking it. I just don't know who I can talk about and who I can't without permission. So I'll, I'll lead you to the website. <laughs> and one person that I actually can speak to, he's actually um, a very interesting person. His name is Chris Skinner. And he's a commentator actually in the banking industry. But he has like 50,000 plus followers on Twitter. And he's a blogger. And he just came out with a new book called The Digital Human the fourth revolution of humanity. And it's a really interesting book that I, again, like when you're asking about what am I reading or, or who am I following or kind of taking it out of the park, I think just really staying up to date with digital transformation and where companies are headed, where individuals are headed. So this book does a great job at talking about how we first became human and then we became civilized humans. And then he talks about the third age of like, how creation, the creation of commerce came about, which is really interesting. And then how today we're all becoming digital. And I'll add in here, like literally what in the past six weeks, we've been like a forced digital transformation. And he just, again, talks about how technology has really changed the way that we communicate, that we trade, that we transact, um, and that we do business. And I think as a marketer, when you understand the digital human, it really can help you position your strategies and where you need to be, right? Because he, Chris Skinner specifically talks about banks um, and how at one point banks uh, were not perceived as super friendly when it came to social media or engaging. 
And now a lot of banks are breaking that mold and they're using social media to engage with their customers and create positive interactions or meaningful conversations. And I think we can all walk away with that knowing that social media is really designed to do that so that if we can measure it, which we do uh, at Octopost, we're fantastic, that we can take that and go ahead and really use that in a marketing strategy. But really it's there to, to be a way to communicate and, and understanding the space that we're in today, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, to, to approach the question from from the opposite angle, then, what's the biggest pitfall that you see companies make when they're trying to to be effective on social or ramp up their presence? Sure. The biggest pitfall that I see is usually companies. Everybody loves, and especially marketers, like we dream big. Um, and the biggest pitfall I see is that when you think employee advocacy, you think, oh my gosh, I want to have all of my employees and, and everyone sharing everything and sharing content, and everybody's gonna love this and they're gonna contribute and we're gonna just be rock stars. And I think that going into launching an employee advocacy program with that mindset, you're going to be set up to fail. And the reason why is because not everybody is comfortable with social media. Not everybody's going to wanna to share content and it may not be everyone's thing. So instead of when you're first launching an employee advocacy program, instead of thinking large, I would think on the smaller scale and find your social enthusiasts, if you will, who you know are going to want to be involved or they're already active on social media, get them involved in the program first, and then like a ripple effect or a wave, and you can grow and scale the program as time moves forward. And that would be the biggest pitfall. I've had companies come to me saying, hey, we wanna roll out 10,000 advocates. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's really incredible. And we definitely wanna sell you 10,000 advocates, but that's not where we need to start because you're not gonna see results. And it's much harder to train. So I would say that the, the pitfall would be starting large instead of starting on the smaller side and scaling up. Obviously the COVID-19 outbreak has kind of blown a lot of a lot of short-term planning out of the water but now we've lived with it for for a month or so do you think there's a quick tip for marketers in the social media realm or is it still very much evolving along that empathy line that you've already talked about i think um there's always room to evolve and i think that my quick tip for marketers right so future planning future mapping if we take a look where we are today versus three months from now versus six months from now what I would say is when you're thinking about your social strategy, don't just think in the now, right? Don't just think, okay, there's a crisis going on. Let me revamp for the crisis and then things will go back to normal. Things will never be the same. And I think for social media uh, marketers, what we really need to focus on is how can we evolve our stories for now and beyond, right? Don't just think about today, think about the future. The on-demand content, I think, is one of the best things that is a, a huge takeaway because on-demand content we can create now and we'll have it for life, if you will, right? So we're creating this on-demand content. We can always repurpose it later. Um, it's a great way to also clean up your content and do right now, take a quick look, see you on your blog. Okay, do a quick audit. Um, what pieces of information are helpful? What are kind of just fluff? What are thought leadership pieces? Organize it a little bit better. But I do think that if you just sit back and do nothing, and kind of ride out the storm. I don't think you're gonna be setting up your social media strategy for success. I think you need to get down and dirty, if you will, um, get creative. <laughs> and again, I think that the next big thing in social is going to be podcasting and Instagram and the for B2B marketers. And the reason why I say that 
is because podcasts are definitely a way that brands can be human. And I think, you know, speaking from someone as a B2B marketer, we're always getting hit with like, be more, be more human, be more human. You know, how do you, you know, what, how, what does that even mean? How can we be more human? And I think with podcasts, getting to interview different people in a company, different members of an organization, it helps your audience connect better and relate in a different way than just the blog. So I definitely think podcasts are a place that marketers are going to want to play in. Um, and I also think besides podcasts that Instagram is going to be now the perfect time to utilize a strategy. So we know that Instagram for B2B marketers has always been challenging because again, it's a photo app on the go. What do you take pictures of? Um, how do you promote your brand on Instagram? But right now with all of your, your employees working from home, a very uh, popular hashtag has become the employee takeover. And there's actually like interesting content to share there, right? So your employees are working from home. Maybe they wake up, they do a workout, they have a cup of coffee, they walk the dog, they take some calls and they call it a day. Giving your employees the opportunity to take over the Instagram account for B2B marketers is now gold because we've always been struggling with, okay, what's our brand going to be on Instagram? What should it look like? And focusing it on your employees, again, is going to help your brand become more human. Uh, moving forward, even when everybody does return back to the office, it's still a very fun way to keep your employees engaged and also your audience engaged. And it definitely will give your audience a fresh perspective um, of the company culture, of your brand, and humanize your brand. So I definitely think those two specific channels are going to be, if you're not there, get there. And I think in the next three to six months, hopefully we'll see a lot more interesting Instagrams and have some really cool podcast discussions. Fabulous. Nice to know we're ahead of the curve just by having this conversation. That's a, that's a, lovely, that's a wonderful, um, wonderful point to end on, I think. So <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on the podcast. I hope there's plenty there for people to for people to take away. I think you said you've got your own podcast, uh, Octopus. Where, where can people find that just before we go? Yeah, absolutely. So our podcast that we are launching now, so it's called The Globalization of Social Media. We've had some really awesome guests like Chris Skinner, who I mentioned, who talked about the digital human. We've had um, Kyle Hegarty on our show, who wrote the book, The Accidental Business Nomad. Um, we talked to Steve Lucas, who was former CEO of Marketo. And we also have an upcoming guest, Ido Aroni, who's a general consul and works um, you know, in APCO worldwide. And he's going to be talking like how businesses can get back to normal. So we have a lot of really awesome guests. And you can find us. Our channel is called B2B Marketing Now, and you can subscribe anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Great. Okay. Check that out. Come back to ours. And um, yeah, so generally, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Of course. Thanks, Richard. Thank you for joining us for another episode of That Marketing Podcast. You clearly have wonderful taste. We hope you found the content useful and, and enjoyed it. We'd love you to subscribe wherever it is you're listening to us. Maybe leave us a review. If you can think of a topic that you, you'd like us to cover, or even if you fancy coming on the podcast and sharing your own experience on a particular topic, uh, you can reach us at marketingteam at spotler.co.uk. Thanks once again and happy marketing.